pray together. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege to gather in this place today and to worship you and, and just to let you know, God, that we love you. Uh, we are mindful today, very especially today, Lord, of the freedom that we have to worship. We're mindful that in many places on the planet today, people are worshiping you in fear of their lives. But we get to come and freely worship and to give you honor. And so we thank you for that freedom that we have. We thank you, most importantly, for the freedom that we have in your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's not experienced that freedom, that today you would speak to their heart and draw them close to you. And now as we turn our hearts and our minds to you, Lord... Would you take our worship, may it be acceptable and pleasing in your sight as we give you honor and praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. God, on the day we celebrate our nation's birth, we place our faith in you. You are the one who gives us freedom. You have endowed us with inalienable rights. Life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And may we pursue you with the passion that you first pursued us. As we celebrate our great nation, we remember the sacrifice and turmoil that this country was born out of and that continues to shape us today. We know that you are not done here. We know that we are far from perfect. And we know that you have a plan. We pause to remember that you are our God. And we are the people of your pasture. Help our country turn toward you. Bring revival to this nation. Give our leaders clear vision and sober minds. Bring peace and justice to our schools. And unite us all as brothers and sisters. God, we ask that your kingdom would come, and come quickly. May peace and prosperity come to your children living in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing great songs of the church today. America the beautiful, amazing grace, my chains are gone for I've been set free. All right, everybody, sing out strong today.
We come to a uh, very important part of our service, and that is the time where we get to pray for one another, and most especially on this day, to pray for our country. And uh, to be honest with you, uh, you may feel like me, wow, how can I pray for our country? Where do I start? Because there's so many things going on in our world today. I'm reminded of the scripture in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You know, there are some things that are conditional with God. The love of God's not conditional, it's unconditional. I'm thankful for that. But God gives us some instructions in this verse that if we want to see our land healed and turned around, there are some things that He is asking us, actually commanding us to do, to humble ourselves, to turn from our wicked ways, to seek His face. And so would you join me and let's do that together this morning as we pray and uh, let's seek the Lord's face this morning. Lord, we do come to you this morning and we look at what's going on in not just our nation but our world. There are so many different responses that we could have. Many of those responses, probably not godly responses. So Lord, we, we ask you this morning that you would give us the Jesus response. Lord, would you teach us what that is? Would you give us your wisdom to know how to respond in the crazy things that we see happening in our world? And Lord, we confess to you today that we are solely dependent on you. For some of us, that is a hard pill to swallow, God. I'll be honest, sometimes that is a hard pill for me to swallow. How can we confess our dependence on this independence day? And yet the reality is, Lord, we are dependent on you for every breath that we have. And so we thank you this morning for the privilege to gather in this place. And we pray that verse, Lord, that scripture believing in our heart, God, that you are a man of your word. We humble ourselves before you this morning. We pray, God, we ask you as we turn from our wicked ways, as a nation, as individuals in this nation, Lord, would you heal our land? Would you hear our prayer? Would you bring revival? Would you bring spiritual awakening first to the church? that so often seems apathetic or unaware. God, would you revive our hearts today? Give us a fresh wind of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that even in this service today, Lord, when we leave this place, we would not just be able to say it's been good to be in the house of the Lord, but when we leave this place, we could honestly say we have had an encounter with the living God. Lord, thank you for these friends in this room. Thank you for many in this room who have served our nation. Many who have friends and family members who have given the ultimate sacrifice of their lives for freedom. Thank you. God, thank you. And God, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that your son gave. For the freedom that we may have. The freedom from sin, but the freedom to eternal life. The freedom for abundant life. We thank you. For what your son did for us on the cross. 
And we ask, Lord Jesus, that today, in this moment, in this service, would you take our hearts, would you change them, would you mold them, would you make them hearts that are pleasing for you. And we'll give you the glory for what you're going to do in this place today. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As Jack prayed, this nation can be changed one heart at a time. So our prayer today, I just want you to just remain seated, but sing this chorus, Change my heart, O God, that we can be not who my neighbor wants me to be, but who God wants me to be. Sing this chorus with us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Mark, and we're going to uh, look at a scripture in just a minute uh, that you may wonder, what has this got to do with the 4th of July? So hang on to your seat. We're going to find out in just a little while. If you're joining us via video in our live stream this morning, one of them is going to be saying, let us know that you're joining us. I mentioned our summer staff are here, and one of them is going to be saying goodbye tomorrow. And so I asked Misha to share a little bit about what God is doing in her heart uh, so we can be praying for her as she leaves. So Misha, come on up and, uh, and share with us, and then we'll look at the scripture this morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, so today I'm going to give you guys my testimony, but it's, a little, it's my story, so I'm just going to give you a little bit of a background. Um, first off, I'd like to say that I'm grateful for the opportunity to... Um, for last Sunday that I was able to sing and this Sunday that I'm able to give my testimony and just to be involved in the summer staff here at Greenville. Um, And so my story starts with both my parents were born and raised in Haiti and they came here in the 90s and they had my siblings and I here in Florida. Um, And my dad's also a pastor and so growing up I'd always been around the church. I'd always been... um, a Christian, really. I had always been told it's very important in Haitian culture. They tell you, you know, you have to put your trust in God or you, you need to put your trust in God. And sometimes that's easier said than it is done. And so, every, like, it was so easy for me to be like, yeah, you know, I can put my trust in God. And so, getting into my ninth grade year, 
um, of high school, the summer of my ninth grade here, my family and I were homeless and we didn't have anywhere to live. It was very, very, very hard for us. And um, I realized how difficult it was for that phrase and how it was almost like putting your words into action. Like you have to put your trust in God because in situations like that, like I began to have like questions. I was like, why me? Because there are plenty of other kids who are in the ninth grade or who are in high school who have homes, who have families, um, who have something to eat. They have, they have a roof over their head. And so I was like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my family? And um, it, through those questions, I began to look at myself in America and other countries. And it was some of the questions or some of the realizations that I had were, if I was suffering, then how is it for other children? If I'm suffering here in America, then how is it for them? Because I have clothes. I have clothes that I can wear, and they may not have clothes that they can wear. Um, if I don't have a home, a place to live, at least I have a family. And I may not have the best food, but I, I have something to eat. And sometimes for them, it's they don't have food to eat. They don't have, um, they don't have families. Um, I may feel scared and alone, but at least I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I can put my hope in Jesus. I have my family around me, but some people don't have Jesus. They don't have any hope. And so realizing this, it made me realize how blessed I was in the middle of my circumstances. And so I realized I wanted to really be a missionary and always be involved in missions. And I wanted to be involved in a mission that was going to help people and um, help children who are in poverty, help people who don't have any hope. And I realized that um, I'm grateful that I'm here in Greenville, regardless of the fact that I'm not in the Dominican Republic, but um, that I have the opportunity that we can stand here, that we can pray for those families, that we can give wholeheartedly um, to help those people because God has helped me and he's shown me hope in many ways through my life. So thank you. Thank you, Misha. We have, uh, we've learned a lot from our summer staff of being here with us, and we're excited that some of them are sticking around for a few more weeks, uh, so we're grateful for that. Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 46. While you're turning there, uh, I want to say to you, this might be, for me, uh, the hardest message God has asked me to share with our Crossroads family since I've been here, so I want to tell you straight up, listen intently, please, to everything that the Scripture has to say to us this morning before you get angry with me. Um, I, I am a, a patriot. Uh, I love America. I think it's one of the best nations, if not the best nation on the globe. Obviously, we had our celebration last night, had hundreds of people here. So uh, keep all those things in mind and context when we're reading the Scripture. And I make some points this morning. Because uh, my heart is broken for our country. Uh, I hope that yours is. If you're a child of God, it should be. Uh, so let's look at the scripture and let's see what God has to say to us. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they, which is the disciples and the multitude along with Jesus, came to Jericho. And as he, Jesus, was going out from Jericho with his disciples and the great multitude, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Tim Timaeus, was sitting by the road. 
And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, arise, he is calling for you. And casting aside his cloak, he jumped up and he came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Uh, I believe that instead of us asking God, God bless America, it's high time that we as America started blessing God. We live in perhaps the freest nation on the globe. Uh, we have, as you heard Misha sharing, untold freedoms and blessings, and yet our country seems to be careening down a road of no return. I love this story. I've been looking at this for the past several weeks, just saying, God, what would you have to say to us today? And, and as I've been praying, the thing that has constantly come back to my mind is we live in a nation that is spiritually blind, and a lot of us as believers, maybe are spiritually blind. My, my hope this morning is that after we finish looking at what God's Word has to say to us, we may, those of us who would say that we're believers, be able to identify whether or not we're spiritually blind. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus. The first cure for that blindness is to say yes to Him. This is a great story because Jesus is very purposeful. He's going with the disciples and they are traveling to Jericho. And there's a great multitude following and they run into this guy named Bartimaeus. Now, I ask a lot of questions as you have realized by now. When I read the scripture, I ask questions. So when I read this story, I say, who was Bartimaeus? And Bartimaeus was a beggar. And a few times a year when they had festivals, he got excited because as a blind guy, he would come out into the streets as the multitudes passed by, and he would throw his cloak on the ground, as we just read, and people would pass by and they would throw chains down, much like happens in downtown Greenville and other major cities, where beggars are sitting on the street and people would just kind of toss a few coins in their direction. And so this guy was a beggar. He was the son, the Bible tells us, of Timaeus. Now, we don't we don't know exactly why the scripture tells us that. It could be, biblical scholars say, because there were a lot of Bartimaeuses, just like there are a lot of Jacks. So sometimes when people introduce me, if I'm in a family reunion, there's a lot of Jacks in our family. And some people say, well, this is Jack, son of Bill and Diane, just to kind of give some clarification. So maybe that's why the Bible tells us, Mark's version, his account tells us that Bartimaeus was the son of Timaeus. But if you do a little bit of research, you'll also find that Timaeus was a Greek historian. And you'll also find that when you think about Bartimaeus, you will find out that not only was he the son of a Greek historian, but that Maeus, some of you know this, Bar means son, Timaeus means honor. So isn't it ironic that this son of honor was out in the streets begging for money? And the multitude comes by, and the disciples along with Jesus come by, and they see him. Now, some people say that there's also a, an Aramaic meaning of his name that may mean unclean or 
impure. So his name could have meant son of the impure or unclean ones. Now, why is that important? Now, don't, look, don't go to sleep. Don't, don't, don't go to sleep on me. It's important because in that culture, again, some of you know this, somebody who was a beggar who was blind was often shielded from society. Oh, they must be blind because their parents sinned. Their parents did something wrong. So they're kind of, you know, let's kind of talk to them at an arm's length because there's something bad about them. So maybe that's what some people thought. I don't know. But it's interesting that in verse 47, Bartimaeus, this blind beggar, calls out to Jesus and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David is a very important phrase. As a matter of fact, it's only, the only time it's used in the book of Mark is right here in this story. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was kind of one of the titles that people gave to Jesus at that time, thinking that he was going to be an earthly king. But they also gave him that title, more importantly, because they understood he was the Messiah and going to be a heavenly king. Isn't it interesting that of all the people shouting, Son of David, it's the blind guy who recognizes who Jesus is, the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. And while all this multitude around him, this parade that's coming down the street, and some people kind of casting coins at his cloak, all this is happening. His attention is not on the parade. His attention is on getting Jesus' attention. My friends, we are in a world where there's a lot of things going on. Child of God, let me encourage you today Get your eyes off the parade and get your eyes on Jesus. There are a lot of distractions that are going on in our world. And my question to myself this morning and over the last few weeks as I've been reading this scripture is, if I want to bless God, God, tell me how to bless you. And here's the first thing God kind of showed me from this scripture, just reading the scripture. Number one, if you want to bless God, quit being disgusted by people. They told this guy who was crying out for Jesus, he's crying out for Jesus. And they tell him, be quiet. Now that's a nice way of saying it in the scripture, but actually more, more likely what they said, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew has an account for this as well. I think it's in Matthew chapter 20. It says they sternly told him to be quiet. So in our vernacular, forgive me, but they probably were saying, shut up. Jesus does not have time for you. Be quiet. Why were they saying that? Because they were disgusted. And they thought maybe Jesus was too busy for this guy. You know what? A lot of the world and a lot of the church is that way. You guys, my my heart is broken. I've said this the last few weeks kind of in a hint. And so maybe I need to say it a little bit stronger. Our world will never be changed by us as believers being disgusted with it. Not going to happen. It's not going to happen. When I scroll my news feed and I see things happening in the world, and I see a lot of us as believers being disgusted in our response, that's never going to change somebody's heart. Say, how do you know? Because I watch Jesus. I read about Jesus. I can't see one time in Scripture where he was disgusted. Now, he got angry in the temple, and he overthrew the tables, yes. But being disgusted is a little bit different. This guy is crying out for Jesus. And the people are disgusted. You know what? I I believe in our world, 
we have mistakenly tried so hard to give people value and to distinguish them in their different characteristics and their different pockets of how they believe and how they think. And well, this group is now called this, and this group is now called this. In our effort to, to raise them up and give them some attention, we have inadvertently divided all of us. We are one nation under God. We are one race, the human race. That's how God sees us. And it scares me to see what is happening in our world. Our reputation sometimes as believers is that we respond in disgust. I've been guilty of it. I'll see things happen and I'll respond sometimes. I'm trying to get better. I'll respond sometimes on social media and I'll make a comment. And then the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, Not everybody on your feed is a child of God. So your reaction in disgust did nothing to bring them closer to me. Church, be careful. Be cautious. Don't be disgusted. We're especially in that time of world right now because our world is, our country is quickly approaching the time of an election. Be careful. Be careful. Listen, I said I'm a patriot. I love our country. But there are a lot of believers in the world that are creating more division about political party. And my friends, if we're more concerned about this red, white, and blue, and we're more concerned about that flag than we are about this cross, we have a problem. I love our country. But oh, that we were as loud vocally and on social media about the cross of Jesus as we are about the red, white, and blue flag. We're just one country. Jesus did not come here to be an earthly ruler of America. He is not Republican. He is not Democrat. And as my friend Priscilla Shire says, Tony Evans' daughter, he did not come to take sides left, right, Republican, or Democrat. He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Because he's king of the world. So please be careful. Please be careful. Please be careful. Mom and daddy, my mom and daddy always had to tell me three times before I would get it. Don't be just disgusted. We find out in this story that Jesus did not respond with disgust. When he heard this guy crying out, granted the whole world is not crying out for Jesus. But when he heard this guy who had been ostracized by society crying out for him, the Bible tells us that Jesus responded in a certain way. Verse 49, he stopped and he said, come here. Matthew's account said Jesus responded in compassion. There's a biblical response, compassion. Why is it that we expect non-believers to respond as if they know Jesus? Hello, that's not going to happen. I can't expect my cat to act like a dog. I don't have a cat, by the way. I have an opinion about cats, but never mind. You've probably heard this before. If you walk into a room and you see a cat, the cat looks at you and says, Oh, I must be God. If you walk into a room and the dog is there, the dog will look at you and say, Oh, you must be God. That's kind of the difference between dogs and cats. We don't need to respond in disgust. It will do nothing about bringing people to Jesus. But oh, if we respond with compassion. Actually, if we respond with compassion, I believe the world around us would 
would be frozen because they would be like, what, 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 what happened? Because I've never, I've never received this kind of response. Folks, there are a lot of my friends just being really honest and transparent. And some of you can relate to me because you have family members in this same boat. They don't think like I do. They don't believe certain things like I do. They have different orientations than I would suggest that they have. They have different political beliefs. And I will weep on the phone with some of those family members who say the response of the church at large has been disgust of me. And if you're here today and you're visiting, and that has been your response to the church, on behalf of the Christians of the world, let me apologize to you and say, I am sorry that you have seen that, because that is not the response of Jesus. Don't hear me say that I'm condoning sin or things the Bible speaks against, but there is an appropriate response, and that response is compassion, much like Jesus responded to you. I watch some of the things happening on the news. I watch what some of the people are doing to the flag and what they're saying about my, my country, our country, and my blood starts to boil, and that's legitimate, and that's okay, but my response to that is a different thing, especially if they don't know Jesus. So we've got to be very careful and we quit being disgusted by people. What else does the Bible tell us in this passage? Number two, we've got to quit being distanced from people. Oh, we live in that world right now, don't we? I'm so tired of it. Ugh. Distanced by people. The people that we hear mainly about in this passage of Scripture are the people who spoke out, who told the blind man, shut up, stay away from Jesus. Those were the loud Minority, majority, I don't know. It says many people said that. But there were some who said nothing. And I'm not trying to read anything into the text of what the Bible says, but I can imagine I've been in crowds of people before. There was a crowd here last night. There were some people who were pretty vocal, and because of the virus, there were some people who were saying... I mean, they were kind of keeping their distance. I imagine the same thing was true here. There were people who saw especially this blind guy who had been ostracized by society. And so instead of calling him out and saying, shut up, they just decided, we're just going to keep our distance. We're just going to keep our distance. That's not a great response either. Because we try sometimes to push away the challenges of the world. We push away those difficult things, and instead of meeting things head-on, what happens is we become apathetic and we ignore all the issues that are happening around us. Or maybe we think, well, this blind guy doesn't really affect me. Jesus will deal with it. Somebody else will deal with it. But he doesn't affect me, so I'm just going to kind of quietly move on through life. And that describes a lot of us, a lot of the North American church sometimes. That issue doesn't really affect us. It doesn't really affect our worship on Sunday. So we'll just kind of distance ourselves from it and hope that something happens. Nothing is going to happen because God is waiting on the church to rise up and say, I have something to say about this issue. Something to say in love and compassion. So we have to quit distancing ourselves. We've got to get involved, yes. As believers in every aspect of the world, from the arts to media to politics, we should be involved. We've, we've left those worlds as, as believers, and then we wonder why it seemingly looks like they've been hijacked. They haven't been hijacked. We let go of those areas of responsibility years ago as the church. 
If we distance ourselves, friends, and we uh, remain in our little church box, we will never inject the world with the greatest cure to any virus ever known to man, and that's the virus of sin. It'll never happen if we're not communicating and connecting with people. I remember being in the Dominican. Maybe you guys were there. I can't remember. We had a group that was down. They saw this human trafficking and prostitution in the streets. We went out on prayer walks. We gathered back at the lodge the night before. Everybody was supposed to fly back to this country. Some of them, I think, maybe were from Canada to these safe places. And Mike Williams, our missionary there on the ground, said, Would somebody close us in prayer tonight? And so he asked this sweet lady to close in prayer and she began her prayer and she started to pray and somewhere in the middle of her prayer she said something like this oh god god please help us please help us to forget everything that we've seen i remember him quietly reaching over and tapping her on the knee she looked up from her prayer and with tears streaming down his face he said please don't pray that Because if you forget everything that you've seen, the lives of people here will never be changed. If you go back and get into your little bubble and you forget what you've seen. It's so easy for us to look at other things that are happening in the world and say, somebody ought to do something about that. Somebody, maybe that was the response of those who passed by quietly. Oh, somebody somebody else will do something about that. Friends, we cannot be distanced from people. It takes engagement with people for them to sense and see the power of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 33, 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose Lord is God. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So what should our response be? How can we respond to the craziness in our world the third thing I see here is we've, we've got to start being desperate for people. Not disgusted and not distanced, but being desperate for people. Bartimaeus was crying out for Jesus. He's crying out. It's interesting that of all the people that were there, the voice that was heard among all of them was Bartimaeus crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He was indicating his belief, his faith in the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, the king destined to revive the fortunes of Israel and fulfill the legacy of all the prophets. He even called him by an intimate name instead of just rabbi, the more intimate version of rabbi is rabbinai. He's begging out for Jesus, speaking out, Lord have mercy Son of David, have mercy on me. He was desperate for Jesus. That tells me, dear friends, that a silent conviction that God can do something in the world is not enough. We have to speak out. In love, my dear wife reminds me often, and I love it, she'll say to me, tone, tone, It's amazing what our tone can do, what our inflection can do, our volume up or down, our body language. That's why I would encourage you not to have these conversations about your belief on social media. 
Nobody sees you. Nobody hears you. Nobody hears your delivery. Nobody feels your compassion. You're trying to bring a human feeling and emotion and response digitally. It's impossible. Which is why I'm glad we're meeting back together in services. If it was possible, we would just say, guess what, Crossroads? We don't need to worship together anymore. Watch the video camera. Watch your screen at home. By the way, those of you that are watching at home, we're glad that you are. But it doesn't replace this, right? The human connection. And had that blind man just believed quietly, oh, I just believe quietly that Jesus can take care of me. Jesus probably... According to the story, again, try not to read anything into it, would have just kept on walking by. The reason that he stopped is he heard Bartimaeus crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Fortunately, Bartimaeus had the kind of faith that speaks up and acts up. Being blind, keep, in, keep, keep this in mind, being, in, being blind, he can't see Jesus. He only hears him and he hears the commotion of the crowd coming by. So what does he do? He uses what he has. He uses his voice to shout out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. He actually kind of makes a a scene and cries out. People in our world, I don't need to tell you this, you know, are spiritually blind. Jesus tells somebody in the crowd, we don't know who, but he calls out and he says, go get him and bring him to me. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we would play this game. We would blindfold young people in the youth group. And we would put a lot of obstacles in the room. And we would tell the rest of the group, your objective, we're going to time you. Your objective is to get that person who's blindfolded, who's blind, from this end of the room to this end of the room, ready, go. And it was funny what most of the young people would do. They would start going, hey, go go around, go to the right, go to the left. No, back up, turn around, go over here, go over here. And one kid in our youth group, after this poor guy was trying to get in the room and had stumped his toe on about 15 things, he's like, and he walked across the room and grabbed the guy by the hand and brought him to the other side of the room. I thought, wow, wow, that's what we have to do, folks. That's what we have to do to show other people Jesus. We can yell, we can be disgusted, go to the right, go to the left, don't do that, do that. How well is that working for us? It's not. Jesus was moved with compassion. Bartimaeus heard it was Jesus, so he shouted. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus asks him the $64 million question. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking you that question this morning. I believe he's asking our world that this morning. What do you want me to do for you? Do you want healing? Do you want revival? Well, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal heal from heaven. I will answer their prayer and heal their land. Maybe we're not asking the right question. It's interesting to see what Bartimaeus does here he asks Jesus Jesus asks him what do you want me to do and the blind man Bartimaeus says Rabbi I want to regain my sight Jesus says go your way your faith has made you well 
you, you wouldn't know this maybe, and I wouldn't know this had I not pulled out some commentaries and some lexicons and studied some of the original language. It was interesting a few weeks ago reading this passage again, what I discovered. At the beginning of this story, in verse 46, we find Bartimaeus sitting by the road. Mark tells us in his version of this story that in the original language, that word road is hadon, H-O-D-O-N, hadon. He's sitting by the road. And Jesus, when he answers him and says to him, go your way, verse 52, your faith has made you well. At the end of the story, Jesus is saying, get back on the road, but a different form of the word road, hado, H-O-D-O. He's basically saying, you are sitting on this road, this physical road. You've, I'm asking you, what do you want me to do for you? You're saying you want your sight. Okay, be healed. Have your sight back. And now, get on the road. Not on this road, but on the way. The road of following me. Kind of a play on words. It's very interesting there. Here this formerly blind man is, responding to Jesus when Jesus answers his prayer in the way of discipleship. He doesn't just ask Jesus to do something for him and say, thank you, God, see you later. He responds by saying, okay, now it's time for me to follow you. It's time for me to follow you. You know, when I ask Jesus that question, what do you want? When I think about him asking us that question, what do you want me to do for you? There are a lot of things that come to my mind. Individually, for our church, for our community, for our country. Sometimes Jesus asks us, or maybe sometimes we ask Jesus, have you ever done this? I did this a lot in college. Lord, if you'll just help me pass this exam. <laughs> I know I didn't study, God, but if I sleep with the book on my head tonight, would you please supernaturally help everything to go in? It didn't work. It didn't work. It was a good prayer. I think God, chuckled, the Lord chuckled a little bit and said, yeah, we'll see if that works. But how many times have we asked God to do something when he comes to us and says, what can I do for you? And he answers our prayer, and then we just move on. But not in the way. Do we really believe, church, dear friends, stop by the office this week and ask this question. Do we really believe, great question, do we really believe that there's a hell? Do we really believe that those that die separated from God will spend an eternity in hell? Or have we somehow convinced ourselves in North America with all the cushiness and blessedness of being a child of God in the church that that's just a fairy tale we don't want to talk about? Because if we believe that is true, we will respond being desperate for people. Not just desperate for Jesus, yes, desperate for Jesus personally, but desperate for people. And we will not want to respond to them with disgust and distance because we will be consumed in our belief in our heart that that's the place they're going to spend if they don't know Christ. I need those reminders every now and then. Why? Because of that. I'm proud to be an American. It's a great song. But if that turns into your belief that I'm proud enough that I can stand on my own two feet all by myself, 
without a need for a savior, my friend, you have been brainwashed by the national anthem and all the great songs about our country. It's not an easy thing to say to you. I'm telling you, I've been wrestling the last two or three weeks with what God's saying to me. We can get so comfortable in American Christianity. The same thing that this Bible says is true of me as a Christian in America must be true if I'm a child of God in Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Indonesia, India. It must be true. And anything else that I've added to it that only is true in America is not biblical. So the question that I asked myself this morning, again, as I was reading this, the Lord kind of prompted my heart as we wrap up. I asked myself a few questions. Jack, who, who, who are you in this story? Are you the crowd? Are you the crowd yelling to someone who's trying to reach for Jesus? He's too busy right now. He's too busy right now. He's trying to make sure that Crossroads Church has their worship service in order. He doesn't have time for you right now. Am I responding in that way? Am I, am I like maybe the, the silent crowd who said nothing and just kind of was uncomfortable? We had a church one time I was at that did this experiment. I'll share this story in close. We had a guy in our church dress up like a homeless man. He poured alcohol over him. He rolled around in the dirt in front of the church. And he sat right on the front steps before the service. Being one of the pastors on staff, I knew it was going to happen. But most everybody else had no idea. And everybody came into church. And I'm, I'm happy to tell you, a few people stopped and said, Sir, would you like to come in to our service and join us? But most people, during the prayer and the music, we had given him instructions we want you to go into the bathroom and wash up and change clothes. And when the sermon comes out, just walk right up on the platform. And so he, he did. The songs ended and nobody was, no movement. Everybody wondered what's happening, who's doing the sermon. And the man came up walking on the platform. And it was interesting, everybody's response. Especially as he began to talk and pull out the dirty hat that he was wearing. And people started going, oh, wait a minute. That's, that's the guy. Do I have a heart for people? Am I like the crowd? Am I like the disciples? It encourages me because the disciples who saw all the miracles of Jesus, you read nowhere in the story where Simon Peter speaks up and goes, God, let me go over, Lord, let me go over there and get the Bible. None of them spoke up, so I'm encouraged a little bit because if the disciples didn't do it, okay, okay, I don't need to beat myself up too bad. Am I like them? Am I like Bartimaeus? Desperate for Jesus? What's the Lord saying to you this morning? Would you pray with me? A couple of questions for you to ask as we close. If you're a believer here this morning, I would ask you to ask the Lord and the Holy Spirit just to speak to your heart and ask this question this morning. Lord, am I blind to the world? Not, not blind to the issues, but am I blind to responding the way that you would have me respond? Lord, have I become disgusted and distanced? 
if you find yourself in this place today and you're not a believer, you've never trusted Jesus, maybe you, this morning you're going, wow, I, I think I may be one of those spiritually blind people. Can I encourage you just to ask the Lord this question? Lord, where am I in my relationship with you? And I have a feeling that you'll hear him say in the quietness of your heart, what do you want me to do for you? In just a second, church, we're going to have a time of decision. And because of all this social distancing, it'll be a little bit different this morning. But I'm going to ask you in just a minute to stand with me and pray. If this morning you would be willing to come down front and to, to pray for our nation. And as Joey said, the changing of the heart of America starts with the changing of our hearts. And so maybe in just a minute, dear Crossroads friend, believer, child of God, maybe you would just slip out of that pew and come down to the front and kneel and you would cry out on behalf of our country. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, if you need to slip out of that pew and come down front, I'll be standing here ready to talk with you and pray with you. But I hope this morning you'll respond as the Lord, as the Lord leads you. Would you stand with me and let's pray together? Father, I thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that it's true. No matter how hard it is to read it, to preach it, it's true because it's from you. Thank you for your word. Would you move on our hearts this morning to respond as you would have us respond? Lord, now as even people are coming to pray, I, I ask God that you would help us as a church to cry out for our country. Please, Jesus, heal our land. Please, please, please. And help us to do what your word says we should do for that to happen. We give you these moments right now as we continue in a, just an attitude of prayer in Jesus' name. You're welcome to come down and pray if you feel led this morning. If you need personal prayer or you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I would love to share with you where the ultimate freedom is found in Christ Jesus.